This podcast is dedicated to Roy L. Thompson, the owner of the Hancock News, a newspaper issued every Friday morning. I would argue the newspaper is the most important business that Hancock ever had. It tells the story not only of a town, but also the people. And it is a treasure trove that I have been able to dive into for today's podcast. Therefore, hats off to Roy L. Thompson. This is Dodie Land. Conversations from the Madison Isthmus. Here is Gregory Humphrey. Well, hello there and welcome to another podcast from the Madison Isthmus. It is raining tonight as we podcast this program and it is chilly outside. I hope wherever you are, it's comfortable, dry and warm. And I hope you're safe during this pandemic. We need to do all we can to protect ourselves, our family, and our community. We will make it through this time in our state, our country, but we all have to work together. And the pandemic of 1918 is going to be the topic of this podcast as seen through the pages of the Hancock News, a small newspaper in Hancock, Wisconsin, located in Washera County. When I was a boy, Hancock, was just this wonderful little town. On a Friday night, there would be the bakery. The wonderful smells would be coming in and out of the doors as people would walk in and out. We had a hardware store. We had a library, a bank, two filling stations, and we had a barber shop where there was always a big plank of wood that would be put across the arms of the chair for little boys like me so that we could climb up into the chair and be high enough for the barber to do his job. And I remember I must have squirmed around quite a bit because I recall more than not having the barber say, now, if you don't sit still, I'm going to have to cut off one of your ears by mistake. I always walked out of the barbershop with two ears, so I must have been a good listener at the time. But there was another business that had been gone for a couple of decades by the time that I was born, and that was the newspaper the Hancock News. And if I had been a teenager during the time the paper was in operation, I know precisely where I would have found a job. That was really where my DNA would have led me. And so as I get these newspapers from a couple of my aunts and I go through them, I find myself being pulled back in time. And as we live through this pandemic, I looked through the papers of 1918 and 1919, and came across a lot of wonderful pieces of material that I've kind of pulled all together in different segments, and I am going to present it to you during this podcast. During the podcast, the different sections of what I'm going to be talking about will be interspersed with music of the time. What should have been the big story of the era, World War I, While it was a huge story, and there were many, many stories in the Hancock News about that event, letters from boys who went overseas and wrote back to their mom and dad or their aunts or their brothers, and those people would then take that letter to the paper. The paper would print it. Everybody would get to read it. That should have been the huge, big story. But there was also the pandemic of 1918, and that is going to be the topic today of this podcast. We're going to have a lot of ground to cover. I think you'll find it interesting. It'll be kind of snappy and quick and to the point, but I think you'll get a feel for what people were going through and what it felt like then. And in some way, it really reflects also how we live and how we feel today. So much has changed and then so much remains the same. All of that coming up right after this. Over there, over there, send the word, send the word over there. That the Yanks are coming, the Yanks. 
Yanks are coming, the drums rum coming everywhere. So prepare, stay afraid. While I have most of the copies of 1918 and 1919's editions of the Hancock News, there is only one copy dated Friday, December 27, 1918, where the epidemic is on the front page above the fold. And it reads as follows, with a rather large banner headline, Do not let up on flu fight, Surgeon General warns, as danger is not yet past. And then the story, dated from Washington, D.C., is as follows. The danger of relaxing efforts to check the spread of influenza is emphasized again by Surgeon General Blue of the Public Health Service. The epidemic is not ended, the Surgeon General said, and such recurrences of cases and deaths as are now occurring in many localities may be expected to become more or less general. Any statement at the present time that the epidemic has come and gone for good can only do harm, for it will lull people into a false sense of security and cause them to relax the precautions they should take. There were international and national stories on the inside pages of the Hancock News, and when it came to the pandemic, this was typical under the domestic portion of that part of the paper. From that same day of the 27th, 1918, it reads, There are 4,500 cases of Spanish influenza at the Great Lakes Naval Training Station, and there have been more than a 100 deaths since September 9, according to a statement issued by Captain William Moffat. He declared the situation is well in hand. Most of the stories about the pandemic in the Hancock News were local, such as this one headlined, An Extra Month of School. The special school meeting Monday evening held to vote on the proposition of adding another month's school to make up for the flu vacation was attended by 23 voters. Mr. Scott explained that the extra expense would be about $650 and said there were sufficient funds on hand to pay for it. He also added that a majority of the teachers had volunteered to teach an extra month for half pay under the circumstances, thus greatly reducing the expense. Mrs. Schofield, the principal, stated that if school could begin next Monday, or not later than a week from next Monday, and continue without interruption, she felt that by hard work and longer hours, the senior classes could be graduated and the grades made by others with an additional month. It was then voted that the extra month be added on condition that there be no more than another week's vacation after this one. The Board of Health has since authorized the school to open next Monday, and plans are being made by teachers to put in extra time and hard work sufficient to complete the required course of study. Cooperation always adds strength to any undertaking, and now it would seem an excellent time for every loyal citizen to help and encourage in every way possible for the teachers and pupils in their effort to go over the top. Barring the unforeseen, it can be done. And then the following week, the Hancock community was commended for taking the lead with this story. G.E. Defoe, principal of the Washera County Training School at Watoma, writes the following letter to George M. Scott, clerk of the Hancock School Board, commending the voters of this district for taking the lead in giving the pupils here a chance to make up what they lost by the flu vacations. Dear Mr. Scott, I want to congratulate you on the success of your special school meeting last Monday evening. 
You have done for your boys and girls what I would be pleased to see every school under like circumstances do. Your extra month of school will make the difference between success and failure with many of your children in next year's work, in the grades, as well as in the high school. I am glad to see the same spirit of interest in the education of your children made manifest at this time as Hancock has always shown in the past. Her children, I believe, occupy the proper place in the hearts of the people. Next year, your school can begin the pupils properly graded, and the extra $650, which you will pay for this extra month of school, is far from being lost. Read all about it. Latest football scores. Morning paper. Morning star. Paper mister. When I was a boy, the Washera Argus had a local reporter who would cover such riveting news as Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so traveled to Chicago or this cousin or that aunt and uncle came to visit so-and-so in Hancock and brought a casserole. And so when people would visit our home on Sunday, be it cousins or an aunt or uncle, I would tell my mom, I'm calling that reporter, we're going to be in the paper next week. And my mom would say, oh, no, you're not. Well, as I'm going through the papers during the pandemic, those types of interactions between people in the community are reported all over the paper. And in the case of the pandemic, this is how some of those articles read. Mr. and Mrs. Fred Humphrey are recovering from their illness with the flu. Fred's mother, Mrs. George Humphrey, who took care of them, has also been quite ill the past week with the disease, but was able to sit up a little yesterday. Mrs. H. D. Mintz returned Monday from a few weeks' stay in Chicago, where she was called by the illness with influenza of Mrs. Irene, who is there attending school. She got better, but Mrs. Mintz took the disease and was quite ill with it for the second time. Mr. and Mrs. A. E. Martzelt are recovering from an attack of the flu, the only cases reported for some time in the village. O. J. Fancher was called to Janesville Tuesday by the illness with influenza of his son Carl, who has been working there and boarding at the Jim Burr home. Clayton McCallan of Veterans Home, a student in the University SATC at Madison, whose illness with influenza pneumonia we mentioned several weeks ago, has had a very serious time of it. He has had several operations for the removal of pus from the lung cavity and was in much the condition that Lawrence Ostrom was so long last summer. Dr. and Mrs. McCallan have been with their son as much as possible, the latter nearly all the time until recently. Though still very weak, Clayton was gaining at last reports. While E.E. E. Ostrom was bringing Dr. Early home from a trip in last Tuesday's storm, his buggy was run into from the rear near Campbell's Corners by D. Pratt with his auto. The vehicle was tipped over and its occupants thrown out, fortunately without injury. And again, there is that storyline between the influenza, and something else which is really unrelated, but without a segue in the paper, to separate the stories. And then, if one follows these individuals, edition after edition, you will find that people succumb to diseases or they get better. And from the case that we just read about, this followed two weeks later. Carl Fencher, whose illness was mentioned in the news two weeks ago, passed away December 30, 1918, at the James Burr home in Janesville, where he was boarding while working in that city. Carl and Ray Humphrey went to Janesville about a month before. Both had the influenza at the Burr home, and Carl's illness developed into pneumonia. His people here were notified, and his father went to him and was there several days. 
The remains, accompanied by Mrs. Fancher, reached here the evening of December 31st, and funeral services were held at the home Thursday, Reverend Cook preaching, followed by internment in Hancock Cemetery. The obituary continues by saying that Carl, oldest son of Mr. and Mrs. O.J. Fancher, was born April 6, 1899, in the town of Plainfield. He was a youth of good principles. The Hancock News reported during 1918 and 1919 a number of obituaries. The influenza cast a dark gloom over the entire area, and the obituaries will be scattered throughout the paper. There wasn't one section where they were all posted, so you would be reading a column and there would be a news story about somebody who would have succumbed to the virus, such as the ones that follow. The death of Professor Timble. Professor J.M. Timble of Watoma, whose illness with influenza pneumonia we mentioned last week, passed away at an early hour Saturday morning. News of his death caused profound sorrow in Hancock, where he ably served as principal of our high school for seven years, leaving only last fall to accept a better position in Watoma High School. His remains were taken Monday for burial near his boyhood home in Kiwani County. Mrs. Timble and little Janet, who were also ill, are reported better. They have the deep and united sympathy of our people in their great sorrow. J.W. Jeffers, whose illness was briefly noted in the news last week, passed away Saturday afternoon after being sick only three days with influenza and heart trouble. Mr. Jeffers has been in feeble health for years, and at his advanced age he soon succumbed to the disease. Funeral services were held at the home Wednesday afternoon. A more suitable obituary for this worthy citizen will be published later. And just to show how obituaries were put in columns alongside other stories, the next paragraph after the Jeffers announcement of his death is as follows. Fred Holmes, the jolly and obliging mail carrier between here and Big Flats for many years, suffered a stroke at his home in Big Flats last week, Thursday afternoon. He has since been slowly gaining, and Freddie's many friends anxiously hope for his speedy and complete restoration. The obituary, however, that hit me the most and had a real profound sense of sadness about it because of how it was written is as follows. Mary Nellie Parker, daughter of Henry and Lydia Parker, was born in the town of Deerfield, Washera County, Wisconsin, March 1, 1892. When Mary was about 11 years old, her mother died. She lived at home until finishing the graded school studies, then came to Hancock and entered high school. During her first year here, she left school to become an apprentice in the Borden Pharmacy. There, by strict application to her work and studies, she educated herself sufficiently to pass the required examination for an assistant pharmacist. She continued her labors, as before, and later took a three-months course in pharmacy at Trinity Hospital in Milwaukee, which enabled her to pass the necessary examination before the State Board of Pharmacy to become a registered pharmacist. Returning to Hancock, she became manager of the Rexall store 
a position she held until failing health compelled her to resign in the spring of 1917. It was her intention to enter the war service as a pharmacist after recuperating, but an operation was found necessary and she was compelled to change her plans. After recovering sufficiently, she took a position in a Burlington pharmacy, there remaining nearly a year, then going to Racine a few months ago, where she worked in the Red Cross Pharmacy until her death, December the 5th, 1918, following a short illness with influenza pneumonia. The kindest friends and best of care failed to save her. Her obituary ends with this. One of Mary Parker's ideals of life was to be helpful, and by her own efforts, she accomplished more than thousands of young people who are much more favored by health and wealth. Her faithful service rendered and progress made are well worthy of praise and emulation. The sorrow is general that she could not have been longer spared for life on earth. And then her family wrote a card of thanks. We wish to extend our kindest thanks to the many friends and neighbors who so kindly assisted during this hour of deep sorrow. And the band played waltzing Matilda As the ship pulled away from the quay And amidst all the cheers, the flag waving and tears We sailed off for Gallipoli And how well I remember that terrible day How our blood stained the sand and the water And of how in that hell that they called Suvla Bay we were... No one needs to wonder why we had the Food and Drug Administration after reading the 1918 and 1919 editions of the Hancock News. Some of the material in terms of the elixirs and cures that are being offered are simply laughable. Such as this one, titled, The Dreaded Flu Put to Rout. Prescription number three has helped thousands. A few drops taken in warm water, coffee, or any warm drink three times daily will ward off Spanish influenza, bad colds, and pneumonia. Good for children as well as adults. Not one fatal case of influenza in our city thanks to prescription number three. Send $1 to L.S. Walker Company, Prescription Druggist, Almond, Wisconsin, for prescription number three, the world's best-known remedy for the flu. And then, an attack of influenza often leaves kidneys in weakened condition. Doctors in all parts of the country have been kept busy with the epidemic of influenza which has visited so many homes. The symptoms of this disease are very distressing and leave the system in a rundown condition. Almost every victim complains of lame back and urinary troubles, which should not be neglected, as these danger signals often lead to dangerous kidney troubles. Druggists report a large sale on Dr. Kilmer's swamp root, which so many people say soon heals and strengthens the kidneys after an attack of grip, swamp root, being an herbal compound, has a gentle healing effect on the kidneys, and it goes on and on. Another with a headline which reads, lives 200 years, exclamation point. For more than 200 years, Harlan Oil, the famous national remedy of Holland, has been recognized as an infallible relief from all forms of kidney and bladder disorders. Its very age is proof that it must have unusual merit. 
If you are troubled with pains or aches in the back, feel tired in the morning, headaches, indigestion, insomnia, painful or too frequent passage of urine, irritation of stone in the bladder, you will almost certainly find relief in gold metal Harlem oil capsules. And then, don't trifle with a cold. It's dangerous. You can't afford to risk influenza. Keep always at hand a box of Cassara quinine, Hills bromide. Standard cold remedy for 20 years in tablet form. Safe, sure, no opiates. Breaks up a cold in 24 hours. Relieves grip in three days. Money back if it fails. And then, of course, in the paper, I found this little paragraph tucked way down at the bottom of one page. Above all, do not trust in the misleading statements of unscrupulous patent medicine fakers. There is no specific medicine for the cure of tuberculosis. The money spent on such medicines is thrown away. It should be spent instead for good food and decent living. During the pandemic, the Hancock News had a number of articles about medically related avenues that people should think about, such as children's parties being dangerous. The article reads, But doctor, I can't see why you are so opposed to children's parties just because you are now treating an unusual number of contagious diseases. The children invited are schoolmates and playmates and are together day after day anyway. How is a party going to add materially to the danger? A mother, who had not forgotten her own childhood, was arguing with the old family doctor and in behalf of her children and their young friends. Well, replied the doctor, as a physician who has to wrestle with contagious diseases and the after-effects, I do not like schools very well either, but I recognize the fact that they are necessary and that the business of life has its unescapable hazards. For the railroad engineer, it is a train wreck. For me, it is dying from some loathsome disease contracted from a patient. But trains must be run, patients must be visited, and children must be educated. We must all take our chances, but that does not mean that because we have a certain element of unescapable risk in our jobs, we should keep on seeking danger outside our regular working hours. And then there was the flu and you. If you had influenza during the recent epidemic, don't congratulate yourself too soon upon being safely through the siege. Do you still feel tired and run down? Then sound sense argues for a little attention to your physical condition. If you have had influenza, practice the hygienic virtues very strictly. Take more than your regular amount of sleep, spend more than your usual amount of time out of doors, eat plain food, and keep away from people who have colds. After following this treatment for a couple weeks, if you still feel tired, out and not up to the mark, get to your doctor. And then there was this advice to flu convalescents. Spain and England report increase in tuberculosis after influenza epidemic. U.S. Public Health Service warns public against tuberculosis. One million cases tuberculosis in United States, each a source of danger. Influenza convalescents should have lungs examined. Colds, which hang on often beginning of tuberculosis, no cause for alarm if tuberculosis is recognized early. Patent medicines not to be trusted. 
Then there was a cartoon which had a caricature which we would come to think of as looking akin to Franklin Delano Roosevelt with a hat, the glasses, the stern look on the face, and he is beseeching a young boy who's wearing a hat, use the handkerchief and do your bit to protect me. Colds, influenza, pneumonia, and tuberculosis are spread this way, and the little boy looks like he's quite sick, and the FDR-type character, if you will, is handing him a kerchief. And finally, what about home nursing? Nothing is more important for people called upon to nurse influenza patients than to realize the danger of their hands carrying infection. The nurse's hands should be washed frequently and immediately after handling the patient, the bedding, and the clothes into which he sneezes, coughs, or spits. The cloths should be burned or put into covered receptacles until they can be boiled. After being boiled for 15 minutes, they can be washed, dried, and used again with entire safety. One of the head physicians at a military base, one who has had charge of thousands of influenza cases, says he thinks that one of the chief advantages of a contagious disease mask is the fact that the wearer cannot get his soiled hands to his mouth. But the masks do strain disease germs out of the air, which the nurse breathes, and should be worn for this purpose also. In 1919, as the pandemic was ebbing, there were some interesting stories in the Hancock News, such as this one. The flu ban has been removed at Watoma, and a big dance and basketball game is advertised in the gym. Therefore, tonight, January 10th, Watoma and Ripon High School teams will contest in the basketball game beginning at 8, and dancing starts at 9. Music by Holzer's Six-Piece Orchestra and Ellie Rice, Wisconsin's noted tenor singer, the combination that gave such excellent satisfaction there at fair time. An oyster supper will be served at the Northwestern Hotel. You can almost feel the energy of the community and the excitement the air being lifted, the heaviness of the influenza passing, and plans being made for fun and for living life again. And it also can be noted that that same exuberance is felt in this line from another paper. Movies in Hancock every Wednesday night, if the films don't go astray or the flu interfere. A little comedy there as well. And then there was this lighthearted story, which isn't so much about the pandemic, but it gives a flavor of the times and I think speaks about the vitality of the youth and the energy and sort of the commitment to living life, even when things were maybe not so well, given all the health news in the country. Three sleigh loads of students went to Elman Saturday afternoon, the attraction being a basketball game there that evening between the high school boys of the two towns. Hancock again lost by a score of 23-14. to 14. Meantime, the roads kept drifting and the procession did not reach home until daylight the next morning. No news is given, I should add, about how the moms and dads felt about that all-night excursion by their kids out on a sleigh. But be that as it may, the story continued... 
In the double basketball game here Thursday evening between the boys and girls teams of Endeavor Academy and the boys and girls teams of Hancock High School, the home girls won by a score of 10-2, but our boys lost to the long-geared basket tossers of the Academy Town. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Doty Land. Be a friend of mine on Doty Land Facebook page for pictures and more information about this episode. And join us again here on the Madison Isthmus and stay safe during this pandemic. I sell the morning paper, sir. My name is Jimmy Brown. Everybody knows that I.